Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be doing it by looking at the book of Matthew. We're in uh, chapter 13 now. We just finished uh, chapter 12 last week, and uh, uh, we actually did 11 and 12 last week uh, in the different programs that we're on, and they will be available eventually in podcasts, but uh, also on our websites, we have the whole Bible, and we're going through a lot. I really recommend people go back and look at Exodus because in Exodus we see the foundation for a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about in Matthew. Of course, even uh, our articles that go way back to uh, Abraham and in Genesis and uh, and creation. You know what what is the really the the story and the allegory and the meaning of Adam and Eve and being naked and and uh, what was the real problem uh, the real problem was we were given a choice uh between using the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life as a source of information as to our day-to-day activities and those activities included dressing and keeping it uh, the garden that we were placed in, uh, we were to maintain it. We also were given dominion over a great deal of this planet, the animals on it, the flora and the fauna, etc. We were not given dominion of one over the other, uh, to rule one over the other, to exercise authority one over the other, uh, that we had certain tasks put before us, we had uh, resources to achieve those tasks, we were to be fruitful and multiply. That was another directive originally in the garden. And today we seem to be going to the reverse. Just in the news stories before uh, the show came on and news stories I pick up from places like the Epoch Times, uh, rural hospitals are closing down all over the United States. And There's a number of reasons for that. Uh, Also, addiction has become a real problem amongst the youth. There's a reason for that. It all goes back to that original error of trying to decide what is good and what is evil based on the resource that was called in that original story the tree of knowledge. And that tree of knowledge we all have. We all have a tree of knowledge. We have information that we have in our heads that we memorize uh, from catechisms to dictionaries to um, historical documents, whatever, that uh, we study to get an idea of the past and the present and possibly the future. And then there's this other source, trees were sources, in the Hebrew language, this other source, which was referred to as the tree of life, and uh, that was okay to eat from. That was okay to use as a source of guidance in this life. And uh, we chose the tree of knowledge. We tried to decide for ourselves what was good and evil based on our personal tree of knowledge. 
And that was a vain thing to do. It was contrary to what God said to do. And then when we were called out on it, we denied the responsibility for our error and said it wasn't their our fault. Adam said he wasn't his fault. It was the woman that God gave him. And we seem to be still doing that. We're blaming everything on somebody else and not taking responsibility for it. Uh, somebody last week had called me and asked me questions about a particular group, another guru group, showing people how to solve the problem of the reduction of liberty in the world today and how to become, you know, self-determination kind of approach to uh, getting out of the unrighteous mammon that uh, seems to be strangling people. Like I said, these rural hospitals are shutting down 30%, are in danger of shutting down. Many of them already shut down. Not that hospitals are our salvation, but they are a place in which we can provide services for the people in our local community to aid them in the case of an emergency. Of course, every every church should be its own system of social welfare in the early church. If we were to look at history of the early church from the time of Christ, that church was providing all the social safety services of the people, for the people, by the people, through the church. And exactly what that looks like, we have put out thousands of pages, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recordings, uh, tens of thousands of footnotes in, in the, the different uh, articles and books, etc., so that you can get a feel and understanding <laughs> partially through your own tree of knowledge as to what was going on in the early church. What was going on in the Old Testament during Exodus. What was going on with Abraham, the man who walked in faith. What he was really doing. And of course, to some degree, what we write is contrary to what you're being told. I just got a notice uh, from a ministry uh, they call themselves the uh, uh, the Sword Scripture Truth Ministries presents, uh, a, a, I guess, a deal on idolatry, uh, carved images, and the likenesses of Yahweh, and uh, warns uh, the Catholic faith violates the second commandment against making, possessing, Revering, serving, and worshiping carved images representing Jesus, Mary, and the saints. And so evidently it's a little bit of uh, against uh, what they see as the practice of Catholicism. Now, I know Catholics who will argue that, oh, we don't worship the statue and, and all that sort of thing. But then people complain about their holding Mary in such reverence and and they can argue about this and you can create more and more denominations and more and more doctrines and more and more ideologies. But of course, we show you very clearly that these graven images have nothing to do with statues. Now, statues, when people start erecting statues and worshiping those statues or revering those statues or the images that those statues represent, that can be a kind of form of idolatry, but that's not what that tells us in the New Testament what idolatry is. 
idolatry, and it really doesn't tell us that that's what idolatry is in the Old Testament. And, of course, that's why we have to write so many articles and give you so many footnotes that you can look at it. And, you know, that's tearing down their idolatry. Because, see, they worship the catechism that statues, worshiping statues, is idolatry. That's an idea. That's an ideology that people have come up with. And they worship that ideology. Now, they may not make a statue. They may make a book about it or an article about it. And then you you read that and in your head you have this idea that idolatry has to do with statues and graven images. Because it says that in the English. And we show you in the Hebrew it means more than that. We we don't unmoor the metaphor of graven images, that's a metaphor, from its meaning. It means you're, you're worshipping the tree of knowledge. You're eating of the tree of knowledge. You're, you're getting an ideology, an idea about something, and that's what you have faith in. That idea. But none of that is the Holy Spirit. None of that is the tree of life. When the tree of life in the Old Testament represents the Holy Spirit, eventually they start talking about even the Holy Spirit. And they talk about that, of course, a great deal in the New Testament. But this is, that Holy Spirit is a divine connection with the source of life. It's somewhere inside ourselves there's this divine spark where we touch God, like like we'll see here in Matthew, where people want to touch the hem of Jesus' garments, and they're healed. Are they are they creating idolatry, thinking that if they touch that garment, is that garment become an uh, an idol that they want to touch? Well, in a way, it is. But what saves them, and according to what Jesus will say, is their faith. Faith in what? Faith in his garment? (laughs) Faith in a statue? Faith in an idea? No, it's actually faith in that divine spark, that holy essence of God, which each of us can access if we're willing to humble ourselves before God and before his spirit. She knew there was something in this Jesus that she didn't see in other men. And she thought, well, if I just touch the hem of his garment, later we'll see other people are doing the same thing, trying to do the same thing. Touch the garment and be saved. Of course, that's the whole idea of relics. You know, the relic of this saint. Or the re- there, were, there were stories of other saints who were following the way of Christ, which is different than the modern church. And they ended up going out to, like, what we would call monasteries. They're just dwellings out in the desert where a bunch of people lived. There's usually a, a spring or a well around there, but they were, they were somewhat protected by their distance from towns. And people would go out there to see these saints and they would want to touch them. And so they literally stoned themselves into a room. Then would receive visitors at a little window 
in the room so that they wouldn't be all, everybody reaching out and trying to touch them all the time. And then they would talk to them and counsel them and share with them their observations based on their own relationship with the Holy Spirit. But they had to kind of put a barricade around themselves because people wanted to reach over and touch them thinking that touching was going to make the difference. And that's a form of idolatry. You know, you can, you can put people up on a pedestal. That's a form of idolatry. But really, in Colossians, like 3, 5, it says, Mortify therefore your, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Because covetousness is disobedience. We got that. You can go back to Ten Commandments. You can go back to the altars of Abraham. You know, the altars of Abraham weren't like the system in Haran. They certainly weren't like the system in Ur or in Babylon. They were a different kind of system based on free will offerings to take care of the needy of society. And it just still amazes me that Christ comes along and says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that we're not to be like the governments of the other nations who have men they they call benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. In other words, take away from one group of people in society to give to another group of people in society. That's that's clearly covetousness, just based on the definition of the words and terms. But everybody does that today. But they don't have to look at that. That all social welfare throughout, all legal charity throughout the United States, Canada, Australia, Europe, Asia... All of it, which, which is operated by men who exercise authority, which is the governments of authority, is a covetous practice. It, it's coveting your neighbor's goods through the teeth of government. That's easy to see. That's just language. We can explain that right there in your head. You can see that. But they don't want to see that. They want to think that idolatry is making a statue and worshiping it. Now, if you don't see the truth about covetous practices being idolatry, you you might end up <laughs> making statues and uh, revere because you need to attach yourself to something to make you feel secure. And of course, if we go back and read our articles on the golden calf, the golden calf was created. To give people a sense of security, but not out of some sort of superstition. It was very practical. You know, because, you know, if the Amalekites, Amalekites, and different people uh, were to attack you out there on the desert, some of you might just flee and run away, not stick with you. And, and help protect one another. They might not, they might not feel any loyalty towards you and just try to save themselves. And 
so they took all their gold and they put it in a statue. And so if you left, you left without your gold and that's the easiest way to carry wealth. You know, I can show you throughout history, you know, Marco Polo. They, they wove, uh, they actually used gemstones mostly from the east. They, they had been buying them up while they were working there in the east and learning the languages and serving the emperor. And then they took these gems and they sewed them into their garments so you couldn't see them and they were pretty lightweight in order to bring wealth back with them. Because they were lightweight forms of wealth. And so if you're all your lightweight form of wealth was in the statue, <laughs> you... uh you and you left, you have to leave without it. So it was a way of binding the people together. But Moses said, no, you don't want... The way you want to bind each other together is to create a system of social welfare based on free will offerings. And that was part of the job of the church in the wilderness. And it was definitely the job of the apostles who were rightly dividing bread from house to house. Had a daily ministration. A daily ministration of pure religion, unspotted by those institutions of force, those those governments of force that exercise authority one over the other. Their religion didn't use any of those social institutions or traditions. They took care of one another through love. And that's how they created the bonds of early Christianity. They don't do it that way anymore. They do it by worship my doctrine, my ideology, you know, in my little church. Or they bind themselves together through the governments who exercise authority. And that's, of course, why all these hospitals all over the country are shutting down. These, the rural ones will feel it the most. Although there were, there's been hospitals shutting down even before covid Because they became dependent upon Medicare, Medicaid, and government reimbursements. And now those reimbursements are not keeping up with inflation. So somebody comes into an emergency room and they don't get enough funds from the government to pay for their care. And they don't pay for their own care. They they have no gold and silver in their pockets. They have unjust weights and measures and, and... Since the beginning of this program, all the money in your pocket, in your bank account, everywhere, has decreased in value. So, the layers of error on the part of modern man are almost infinite. (laughs) I wouldn't say. They're, They're considerable. Layers and layers of error. So, you know, I responded to some people on our YouTube channel today and you know, they watch a five-minute video or so, and they they think they know what we're talking about. Well, they might. Chances are they don't. And in, in one case, they don't. In the other case, yeah, he was worried about people worshiping statues. And uh, then I had also got in the email this thing from Sword Scripture, Truth Ministry. Worried about people worshiping statues. Well... It is a slight concern, but they don't know what idolatry is. Because if you're engaged in covetous practices, depending on men who exercise authority to keep your hospital open, to take care of your parents, which we will cover here in Matthew, if if you're dependent on 
those men who exercise authority to provide all the needs of your social welfare. You're an idolater. By the words right there in the text. No, no fancy translation. You don't even need to look up the words. He's telling you covetousness is idolatry. And why do you have con- covetousness? Because of concupiscence, of desire for benefits, and, and a lust for benefits, and not caring where they get the money. They can take it from your neighbor, they can take it from the Ukraine, or they can take it from the Gauls, like they did at the time of Caesar. But uh, you just want to be taken care of. You want to be protected. Well, Christ was very particular. John the Baptist was very particular. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. So, anyway, we saw in Matthew 12 that Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath and we explained that the Sabbath was not a day but a way. He's explaining you, even in the Ten Commandments, he explains to you why the Sabbath is important. The metaphor of the seventh day is important. That you work first and enjoy the fruits of your labor. You don't enjoy the fruits of labor and go into debt. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And we explain that in more and more detail. But he also mentions, you know, the sign of Jonah and, and warns that people are looking for a sign. You know, but blessed are those who don't need a sign. It's just written in their hearts. I, I don't want to live by force. I don't want to live by covetousness. You know, and I don't want to divide one another with our doctrines. So all this was kind of covered. And then finally he explains who his brethren are. Not those who say they're his brethren, but those who are actually doers of the will of the Father. And that is a theme we will see throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the epistles, that we have to be doers of the word. Not that we earn salvation and God owes us, but if you're not a doer, uh, there are certain mystical things that cannot take place. Because you have not, by doing just for a moment, just for a brief moment, by expending energy that you have, spending it, burning it up, using it up for the purposes of Christ, you, you, you begin your journey. Towards the righteousness of God. If you just say, Lord, Lord, you say, I believe, but you don't actually spend energy in that direction, sacrifice in that direction, then you have not completed faith. Faith is a conviction. It it compels motion. And you're not moving from faith if you don't move at all. (laughs) So... So, we're going to learn what it means to move. And that's, of course, what Matthew's going to get into and explain to us. And we'll do that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after a a brief break. And so you can get on the page at Preparing You to follow along as we go. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Just before the break, I told you... uh, we're going to be doing Matthew 14. We're actually going to be doing Matthew 13. I had them sitting here in order, but for some reason I clicked on the wrong one. And yeah, so we've done 11 and 12. 
And uh, now we're going to get into uh, Matthew 13. So it doesn't begin. Uh, we'll probably do Matthew 14 this afternoon show. But uh, this uh, in, in Matthew uh, 13, we b- begin with parables. You know, the, uh, there's a lot of parables in here. And these are stories. And they even talk about, we'll even talk about why Jesus spoke in parables. And of course, this this idea of symbolically speaking about spiritual things well, takes us all the way back to what we were talking about with Genesis and, and the garden and, uh, and the tree of knowledge and the, the, the tree of life. That, they, that the whole Hebrew language is using symbols in, found in nature to express ideas about the spirit. Everything began with spirit. You know, before the so-called Big Bang, I'm not a Big Bang advocate, but according to their theory of the Big Bang, there was nothing. And of course, what that is, what they're saying is there was no thing. <laughs> so what's the thing? The table. That's a thing. That's something, you know, my finger tapping on the table. That's a thing tapping on a thing. But before there were things, there was spirit. So you could say, in that time, there was no thing. (laughs) There was nothing. And, uh, but spirit brought all the things into existence. And we, we've talked about this before, you know, all the different theories they have out there. And I'm not an advocate of any of these particular theories. I'm an advocate in finding the truth. And the truth will explain how everything works. And we can have theories about the uh, how everything works. We can have opinions about everything and how the, it works and fits together. But that's our opinion. And it may be somewhat accurate, but then, of course, we're trying to describe an infinite universe with a finite thing like language, words. And every word can have a little bit different meaning. And and you may have definitions in your head I don't have in my head. So when we talk about these things, we need to want to know the truth. We want to be seeking the truth. And part of that is taking the time to actually know what somebody else is saying to us and communicating to us and where they're really coming from and where their heart is really at and where our heart is really at. Because we can't know the truth unless we know the truth about ourselves. And sometimes to know the truth about ourselves, it helps to know the truth about those that are around about us. And so we have this interaction. And that interaction can help lead us to the truth. But that ultimately is where we have the choice. We only have really the one choice. Or two choices there. Because that's where choice always has the alternative. We're either going to eat of the tree of life. Or we're going to eat of the tree of knowledge. Once you start eating of the tree of knowledge, you will find yourself unmooring the metaphor from its meaning and worshipping the metaphor, worshipping the ideology. And you may represent that ideology with statues. (laughs) But that's just, 
You're just getting farther and farther away from the thing that made the thing a thing, which is the spirit. We talk about things spiritual by using physical symbols. But we only will know the spirit through the spirit. In order to do that, we need to eat of the tree of life, the tree of the Holy Spirit. In order to eat of the tree of the Holy Spirit, we need to approach the light that is there at that tree. And in that light, we will see ourselves. And that's why a lot of people don't want to go. Because they're still doing the Adam thing. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's God's fault. It's the snake's fault. It's uh, Eve's fault. It's just not my fault. No, we have to see it is our fault. And we have to admit it. And re- realize that we can't figure this out ourselves. That we're naked in the eyes of the Lord. And then, and, and, and in God's grace, he will reveal the truth to us. And at least the truth we need to know. And mostly we need to know about ourselves. So as we read these parables, let's... Remember that these are stories full of symbols that are trying to explain to us something about the spiritual reality that existed before there was things. It existed when there was no things, no physical things. So anyway, well, so we're in 13, so if you went to 14, let's go back to and down at the bottom of the page, uh, there's, uh, you know, all the books of Matthew and the original introduction to Matthew and on which you, all our audios on Matthew will eventually be there in order. And you can go to the individual pages so you can just click on Matthew 12 or Matthew 13 in this case and it will take you to the page that we're on. And it's the King James. But then we have lots of footnotes and stuff so that you can follow along if that's what you want to do. So anyway, the first part is the parable of the sower. Verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Now remember, this is there is no chapter in the original text. And remember where we left off in 12 is that he was in this house and his brethren... His his brothers and sisters and his mother were outside the house. I mean, that's what the words say, and that people come and tell him that your your brothers and and your uh, mother are outside, and you can't hardly move around. Evidently, there's so many people in there. And he says, and he points to the apostles. He who does the will of my father is my brethren. So that's very important to understand that. If you're not doing the will of the Father, this spiritual creator of heaven and earth, you're not the brethren of Christ. So in these parables, when he's talking about, you know, you come into the kingdom, and they say, why? Because you fed me when I was hungry, and you clothed me when I was naked, and all these things. They said, when did we do these? He says, when you did them to the least of my brethren. He didn't say when you did it to poor people. He said, when you did it to the least of my brethren. And 
that's an important thing to understand because a lot of people think, well, we just give to the poor and God will get grace in God's eyes. But in Sodom, they gave to the poor. And in Sumer, they gave to the poor. But they weakened the poor. In Babylon, they gave to the poor. But they weakened the poor by the way in which they gave. They gave without the discretion of the Holy Spirit. So it's very important that the way in which you give, and of course, he's not talking about just giving to anybody. He's talking about specifically giving to the brethren. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take care of the poor, and you certainly need to be a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan's helping out a guy. He doesn't know what his religion is. He doesn't know if he does God's will. He just knows that he's dying here, and he's he's going to help him. So there's that. But, you know, when he put him up in that motel, hotel, inn, whatever it was, and and doctored his wounds and everything, he did not give him a guaranteed income for the rest of his life. That's actually coming up now. People think that's a big solution. You know, a guaranteed income. That's That's not what he was doing because that would have weakened the guy. He just... Helping him get back on his feet. And he expects him to get back on his feet. And that's very important to understand when it comes to charity. So back to this first verse. He came out of that house where he just signified that his brethren are those who do the will of his father. And he went out and he sat by the seaside. And great multitudes, large numbers of people were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat the and the whole multitude stood on the shore so that they're not all trying to touch him and get too close and crowding around him and pressing in and he spake many things unto them in parables saying behold so this is one of those parables behold a sower went forth to sow That's throwing out seeds. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some, he he goes on in verse 5, fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. There there was much dirt, not much soil, a lot of rocks. Like up there on Clepple Point, a lot of rocks. You don't want to go up there and try to plant potatoes. Because you dig down a few inches and you're out of soil and you're down in the rocks. And so whatever might sprout, it's not going to have any place for the roots. And and, and it's going to perish. So there wasn't much earth. There wasn't much dirt. And forthwith, they sprung up because they had no deepness of the earth. And when the sun was up, They were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. So now, remember, this is a parable. These symbols are representing something. So if God is sowing the seed of the word of God, the logos, in your heart, and he's doing it with words, he's explaining how the kingdom of God works. But there's no soil in your heart. Your heart is stony. Rocky, hard. You're hard-hearted. There's no place for compassion, 
for those roots to get down in and make root in you, then it's not going to, the, the, the kingdom of God is not going to flourish in you. The spirit of God is not going to flourish in you. So you don't want to have a too hard a heart. But he's talking, he's giving us all these metaphors so that you can kind of understand these spiritual uh, principles. So that when the sun comes out and, and scorches the plants, they don't wither and die. Because you don't have a hard heart. And some fell amongst thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them out. So, now the thorns, that's not, that's, you know, like pick your company. You know, like, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about how, you know, your friends, if, if they're not really, you know, if they're out for themselves, then they can end up destroying your own, your life by choking you out. Because you're more, they're more important to them than you are. So in eight, it goes on. Others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. So he's clearly telling a story, explaining. Because they know this guy, this guy has power to heal. And he's already been talking about the kingdom. He, he's got these apostles who are, you know, they're actually starting to provide social welfare through a system like John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is doing that. You get baptized. Now, how are you going to take care of the needy? Of all the other people that are getting baptized under John. Who has moved the laver of the temple out to the Jordan River. Now, if you have no knowledge. Now, all these people have knowledge of their history. They've been living it. They know Herod came along with the Pharisees and set up a system of social welfare through the temple. And that you could join that by taking an oath by the treasury of the temple, by the wealth of the temple. That I'm, I'm going to pay into the temple every year, whatever I produce, a portion of what I produce. And that's going to be my sacrifice, my Corbin. That goes into the temple through my synagogue, which is ten families. But it all heads up to the temple. And there's guys out there making sure that your share is paid into the temple. And then John the Baptist comes along and says, no, you don't do it by force. You do it by charity, by love. Same word. And now Jesus is following after John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is still around. He's out there preaching. Of course, I already kind of give it away in the next next chapter. John the Baptist isn't going to be around. But he's telling these parables to explain how that system of John the Baptist works. And so, he's talking about cultivating the Logos the kingdom of God that will bear fruit in your hearts and in your minds. Now, 
Jesus has a place where he says he's going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees who have this system of Corbin set up by Herod because it's making the word of God to none effect. And he's going to give it to another group who's going to do it right and bear fruit. If you don't do it right, you're not going to bear fruit. And of course, if you're doing it through covetous practices, like what the Pharisees set up, where everybody has to pay in, if somebody doesn't pay in enough, somebody comes along and makes sure they pay in enough. Jesus is going to give you parables about the fact that's not the way the kingdom works. But if you don't have any knowledge of what's going on, like all these people that he's writing to have, you may not get it. Now, I I believe there are people who have kept the knowledge of the times away from you. So you didn't know what they were doing in all these temples. The temple in Jerusalem. The temple of Roma, also built by Herod. You didn't know how those were operating. The, The temple of Jupiter. That Julius Caesar used to be the priest of. And then funded with the proceeds from his military. To provide a social welfare for Romans. The free bread of the Romans. If you don't understand how all that works, you don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Because right away now, when we get into verse 10 here, he says, you know, this, I have a heading there, the kingdom of heaven is like. Because there's a lot of places where he says that. The kingdom of heaven is like. So he's going to explain what we did not get from John the Baptist in the earlier parts of Matthew. We know that the Baptist was depending on charity, not force. That They were providing clothing for those that are naked and meat and food for those that didn't have enough to eat. And they were doing it by charity. We know that that was spelled out pretty clear by John the Baptist. Now Jesus is clarifying. If only the 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 sword scripture truth ministries would clarify <laughs> but actually they're they're muddying the waters by saying idolatry has to do with carved images and and while if somebody's worshiping carved images chances are that's a symptom that they're also engaged in idolatry but we know that i covetousness is idolatry Desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's idolatry. I mean, that's what the Bible just said, isn't it? I mean, we can see that in Ephesians, uh, first Ephesians 5 5. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Yeah, you have no right if you're a covetous man, if you're desiring benefits at the expense of others. That's coveting. That's that's what coveting is. You you have no inheritance because you're an idolater. And of course now if you were reading that on our website Ephesians 5:5, or Ephesians 5:5, you would probably see that Whoremonger. I mean, if you look up the word whore, look up the word uh, harlot, strange woman, strange fire. All that's the same thing. That's this other system of social welfare that operates by force. 
But anyway, we'll get into that elsewhere. So, in this heading of the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them. So now here, this is his answer. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away. Even that he hath. So what does that mean? And he'll go on and explain the purposes of these parables even more so. But there's a phenomenon I've seen where where people will you tell them the truth and they'll start putting things together. And they start moving down this path of figuring out. Of course, they're not figuring out. It's revelation. Somebody's telling them information and they're, they're at least stacking that information up over there on their tree of knowledge side. And they're looking at that now because there's a place for the tree of knowledge. It's a good thing. Is this not the source? Because you have no way of deciphering what knowledge is true or truer, uh, valuable, not as valuable. You know, how do you weigh that? Well, you can get more knowledge and if you're really smart, you can figure a lot of things out over there. But ultimately, as we've explained many times, and other scientists have seen it, some of the top scientists in history have seen that ultimately they were depending on revelation. That they couldn't come to real understanding simply by information and data. You know, which of course now your AI is going to have access to all kinds of data. So you have AI, artificial intelligence, and then I guess we have HI, <laughs> which is human intelligence. But that may be over there in the tree of knowledge. But uh, then we have II, inspirational intelligence, <laughs> where we tap into God and he shows us what all those other systems will miss. But anyway, back to the phenomenon that we see there, verse 12, that, that if you are given knowledge through this I.I., this uh, inspirational intelligence of God, and you begin to put things together, you start saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is so, and this is so, and and it starts making, oh, that now that makes sense. and And then all of a sudden, it comes down to doing. You have to become a doer of what you're being revealed. You have to go out there and dress it and keep it now that you understand it. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. You don't want to be the doer of the word. Well, guess what? You're going to lose that information you were given. And you won't see it anymore. You'll, you'll, your sight will be taken away. And Jesus will talk about that. It, it can be given... It can be taken away. That's why you need to become a doer. I mean, you you got muscles in your arms and your legs. But that can be taken away. If you don't use it, it will degenerate. It will degrade. 
And that's going to be a common topic. So now in, in verse 13, we have time for a couple more verses. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. By seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. So this is very important that we understand that there is different levels that Christ is talking. He's talking to you about spiritual things with physical terms. And you can hear the physical terms. You can uh, see the metaphors. You, you can, you know, picture in your mind the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. But you don't necessarily understand the spiritual connection if you're only looking at it from an intellectual point of view. But we will continue this and the, the criticalness of this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. So come right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're down in verse 15 of Matthew. And for this people's hearts is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now, that is chock full of information. People, their their heart is wax gross. So that their heart is not converted. And because their heart is not converted... Christ cannot heal them. And he says, you know, that your faith has saved you. Faith in what? In the heart of God. Because they let the heart of God in their hearts. They didn't wax gross. They had the compassion of God. I mean, what God is a giver of life. Are you a giver of life or are you biting one another in covetous practices set up by the world so that you have no pure religion because we know pure religion is unspotted by the world, meaning the constitutional orders and systems of government. So you're not looking to legal charity to take care of one another. You're looking to one another and to the Spirit of God in one another. And you're willing to look for that. But in order to see that and others, you have to see it in yourself. In order to see it in yourself, you have to see that you're naked in the eyes of God. That you, you're in error, that you screwed up, that you made a mistake. <laughs> and maybe your parents made a mistake too. But of course, we have to also walk in forgiveness, which is another whole lesson that Jesus is going to be talking about. And even John the Baptist needs to talk about it. Does it it's not an absolution. It's that I'm not going to judge you. I'll leave judgment to God. And this is, we have to remember this when people come up and say, well, if you're not keeping the seventh day, then you're not saved because that's the mark of the beast. Or they come up and say, oh, I sure hope you're not worshiping statues because that's idolatry. 
All the while you know idolatry is covetous practices and you know they're still engaged in covetous practices. So they're still idolaters and they have no inheritance in the kingdom. But we don't lord that over. We come together that everybody might be saved. We know in order to be saved, you you can't have a wax heart. You cannot have a stony heart. You, you've got to make room in your heart for Christ and the, the word of Christ, the logos of Christ in your heart. So he goes on in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now who's he talking to? Remember, he's not talking to everybody here. He's still talking to his apostles explaining how this all works how does this all work when he when he's he's talking about blessed but what word is that is that you know we talked about before you know there's a blessed a thing that is made sacred it's blessed it's consecrated and there is another thing that is uh blessed it's happy and i believe that that's the word that's actually there is the one that means happy are you because you're willing to hear. You're willing to see. And so in verse 17, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. And so the... the, you, they should be happy that they're now seeing these. Now he goes on and he explains that particular parable we've already talked about. I've given you a little bit of an explanation, but let's hear how Jesus puts it to see if I was even close. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one catches away that which was sown in his heart, this is he which received the seed by the wayside. So, that's the people that are seduced away by false religion. Or other ideas, you know, like public religion. They're seduced away by public religion, which is contrary to the ways of Christ. Public religion depends upon men who exercise authority and takes away from your neighbors so that you can have stuff for free. That's public religion. Through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's the table of rulers that they talk about in Proverbs and and in Psalms. That is a snare. What should have been for your welfare is a snare, Paul says, quoting David. So, yeah, that that's those who hear that we're supposed to love one another, but don't actually do it. They're they, they're caught away, and, and they get involved in covetous practices through public religion, through legal charity. Verse twenty. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon. Now you have this word anon that just suddenly appears there in the King James, which actually means straightway. You know, it's translated straightway. It means straight and level. So, you know, that's what he's talking about, is that that straightway. He says, heareth the word, 
and straightway with joy receiveth it. So he, he accepts it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises becomes of the word, because of the word, by and by he is offended. Offended? What do they mean offended? <laughs> That's a word we hear all the time, you know, that where people are offended. I mean, it actually is the word scandalizo in the Greek, which means to offend, is scandalized. Because there's other words for offend. But he is scandalized. He is, you know, it's it's not rooted deeply in him. He doesn't really understand. He, he receives it because he's happy and it sounds good and all this stuff. But it's the stony ground and it doesn't get rooted deep down in his own heart. But why does it get deep down in his own heart? Because his heart is hard. And, and because he is not willing to see the whole truth about himself, those are hard places in your heart. And so they, they can't get rooted deeply. They, superficially, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And you say, yeah, I, I want to go that way. But you're still holding grudges. You're still holding trauma in yourself. You're still judging other people. And you say, well, I don't want to because I know that's bad. You know, and I don't want to judge other people. But how deep are you willing to go? And of course, we know the ancient prophet said, be still and know. And of course, that's why we suggest meditation is a good thing. It's not a guarantee. It's not, gonna, it's not a trick. But at least that's you're waiting to find out, what don't I want to see about me, Lord? You're waiting upon the Lord. See, I mean... Adam was quick to come back. Not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. When God said, Adam, what have you done? Well, not my fault. <laughs> it's, it's all the wicked out there in the world. It's, uh, it's all these other things. No, no, no. It, it, it's you. <laughs> you, can't, you can't blame this on other people. You have to take responsibility yourself for what you have done. And so that you, the more you see about yourself, the harder it is to offend you. I mean, you can't offend him with a stick if he's really seeing the truth. And that, that actually offers you a certain amount of protection, which I can explain in another place, but this is a long chapter, so let's keep rolling along. 22. And he also, he also that received the seed amongst the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of the world, and that word world, there is age. I put in a footnote so you can know that's aeon. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And so, you know, you're worried about this and you're worried about that. I mean, I mean, how many people, and we'll see this later when... Jesus is talking about the dead, burying the dead. Because they got, I got to go do this, I got to go do that. No, 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 you have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And otherwise you'll be choked out by the world, the cares of the world, by the people of the world that will say, oh no, you need to worry about this, you need to worry about that, you need, oh, you know, 
uh, and of course, now we see it to the nth degree with the media. Oh, you know, worry about World War Three, worry about uh, virus, uh, worry about even the people who didn't want to get the vaccination, worry about the fact that people are shedding. You worry, 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 fear, fear, fear. Somebody told me the other day that it says in one form or another, fear not 365 times in the Bible. So that pretty much got the year covered. <laughs> so fear not. But you can't. Courage is a gift from God. So you have to seek that kingdom of God. And now Jesus is giving us an idea of what that may look like. And he's going to give us a lot of ideas because we're going to walk around the kingdom of God. And he's going to give you idea after idea. And you just have to find a place in your heart you can put it. But you're, you have to dig down deep, get the rocks out. You have to start picking them rocks out, throwing them out. Verse 23. But he that received the seed into Good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, because he's become a doer of the word, and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So let's move right along here in the parable of the weeds. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto the man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But then the blades were sprung up and brought forth fruit. Then appeared the tares also, with their roots already intermingled, so that the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? Why does it have these tares, these weeds that are coming up? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? You know, pull out those weeds? Now, if you know a wheat field or a barley field, they're all growing really close together. You go in out there and try to pull up the weeds that have been sowed into that field. You're going to tear the roots of the barley and the wheat. And he says, no, just let them grow up together. He said unto them, an enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou then let us gather them up? And he says, but he said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat. With them, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in the bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So, that sounds like a rapture. (laughs) Except for the... The tares are getting raptured. <laughs> and then the wheat is brought into the barn. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I, you can create a whole doctrine around that. The rapture of the tares. <laughs> that think they're going to heaven and they're actually going to the furnace. But 
you know, you be careful you get carried away with the metaphors. Because you can create whole doctrines and miss, this is the danger of unmooring the metaphors. And you cannot figure this out. God can reveal it to you in your heart and your mind. And he's going to show you things that you could do to help do this, including being still. But not being still isn't enough. It's just it's just being in your prayer closet and waiting upon the Lord. Verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. Now, there's all kinds of mustard, and evidently this is a particular tree, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, and really small. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now that there's deep significance to that. We won't we won't interpret that right here. You can ask me on the afternoon show maybe. Then he starts a section I call eleven. Another parable spake he unto them The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. Now this supposedly she's making leaven bread. And she's putting this leaven in there. And this leaven in this story is like yeast. And it's going to puff up the bread. But uh, I have links there to what leaven meant in the Old Testament. And he'll, he'll later talk about the beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So there, there is a leaven of righteousness. And there is a leaven of unrighteousness. And what when they are told to keep the leaven out, they're talking about a particular thing. And so the more you understand these words as they were used in different places in the scriptures, the more you can understand. But there, if there is a righteous, unrighteous mammon, that, you know, where you have mammon that is called unrighteous, then it stands to reason there may be a righteous mammon. If there is a Corbin of the Pharisees that is making the word of God to none effect... There should be a Corbin of Christ that makes the word of God to effect. And of course, that's what we're talking about. And of course, that, those are all articles. We have links to those articles so that you can go look them up to explain what the Corbin of Christ looks like. Because that's the church, the early church had a Corbin of Christ. And it, the, the, bo- the box for the poor where you give funds to your minister to take care of the poor was called the Corbanos. Because how is the apostles going to rightly divide the bread from house to house unless the people give it to them? They can't go out like the governments of the world and just take it from different people. It has to be freely given. Same with Moses. Same with Abraham. Not so much with the modern church and the guys that are worried about people, you know, uh, worshiping graven images. Because they think that Idolatry is worshipping graven images when it's actually worshipping systems of force and violence that take away from one group to provide for another in a covetous practices that makes the word of God to none effect. So anyway, it goes on to say, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. 
and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And, and I give you links over there in the side panel as to where you can find that, which I believe was in uh, Psalms. But uh, anyway, so as we, and of course that, that word there, from the foundation of the world, that's not the word for age. That's the word for constitutional order and system of government. So these things, when men started creating governments for themselves, like Cain, city-state, like Nimrod's Babylon, and so they're, they're now going to create governments for themselves, like Sodom and Gomorrah and Sumer and all these others. And they may do a good job at first, but then it's kind of like those, you know, things that creep in. Uh, they they can change. I mean, the United States government and America is not the same as it was 200 years ago. I mean, religion was defined as the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. That's the definition 200 years ago. Today, it's what you think about God. It's your idolatry. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, your ideology. Oh, sorry, ideology. It's your ideology that you worship. That's your religion. But that's not what religion used to be. And it's certainly not pure religion. So anyway, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. Good seeds are the children of God. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Aeon. And the reapers are the angels. Okay, I, I probably should put a link in there so you can get an idea what the angels are. Because, see, now, if I say a word like angels... And you're a Catholic, or a lot of other churches too. I don't want to pick on the Catholics. But uh, you're going to think of this winged guy flying around, uh, doing all these things. And it could be. I'm not saying it's not. But to mention the word, words are symbols of ideas. You already have all kinds of ideas, like kingdom of heaven, which you only find in Matthew. The phrase kingdom of heaven. You find the kingdom of God in Matthew, but you also find that in the other gospels. But Matthew also has this phrase kingdom of heaven. Well, I have a link on the page so you can go get a, maybe hopefully a clearer view of the kingdom of heaven by reading that article. And, and there's probably, uh, podcasts on the page of the kingdom of heaven so that you get some explanation to it. But the ideas, you know, to get these ideas together in your mind uh, that aren't been tampered with already by false religion and public religion and false ideologies and bearing false witnesses and false Christs 
who have told you all kinds of things that aren't true, or just ignorant, the blind leading the blind. Jesus will talk about that. There's a lot of people out there who don't know. I mean, I'm not saying the people at the Sword Scripture Truth Ministries are bad guys. I'm just saying they're wrong about something you can clearly see. And I back it up with what Colossians says, what Ephesians says, what 1 Corinthians says. You know, I mean, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornication of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters. For then must we needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater. Now we already know that idolaters are covetors. Covetors are idolaters. And fornication has to do with illicit relationship with a female. But so is the harlot in the horror called that illicit female. I mean, there's the bride of Christ, but the, and then there's the goddess of Sumer, the turtle dove goddess. Those were the harlots. That was the system that was providing the welfare of the people through exercising authority. It was about the money. It was about the power of the priesthood to force the contributions of the people. That's the harlot. See, that's what makes it a harlot. That's what makes it a strange woman, a strange fire. Because it's not done through love. It's not done through charity. It's not done through compassion for one another. So that that makes you a fornicator because you're going to, you know, these female goddesses of these temples, the Temple of Brahma, beautiful, represented by a beautiful woman statue. The Temple of Brahma, built by Herod, operated the same way. Forced offerings. But anyway, we'll continue this and finish up with Matthew when we return to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. So come right back. So welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. And in this Matthew, he's talking about the tares and the and the wheat or the barley, probably barley, in this field. And that the world is that field. And that world in, is the word for constitutional order or system of government. It's not the word for age. Although we'll see here in verse 39 where he says, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, which there, that's not the end of the constitutional order and system of government. It's the end of an age. That's the word that Matthew wrote there. And the reapers are the angels, he says, which are the messengers of God. Now, I don't know if they're winged creatures or maybe they're people, because we can be messengers of God. But only if we are tapped into the Holy Spirit of God. And, and now, who are all these people? Are, are you one of the tares or are you the good seed? Are you one of the children of God? Now, we know there's all kinds of people that think they will be the children of God. 
and, and they think they are the faithful, and they think they're doing all kinds of things in the name of Christ. But Jesus says to them, Get ye from me, I know you not. And he actually calls them wicked. Workers of iniquity. Workers of the wicked. But they think they're children of God and followers of Christ. So how do you know? And, and is it absolutely important to you to know or to be that which God wants you to be? Because that's, and you should question. You should ponder these questions to find out because there's none of us that aren't susceptible to being deceived. And self-deceived are, seem to be the most prominent people in the world today. <laughs> so anyway. So therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be at the end of this, this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of the kingdom all the things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, of course, disasters like that, in, if we're looking at metaphors, happen. The decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which took place over a couple hundred years. But there were soon periods of time, immediately after Christ said these words, and after his crucifixion and resurrection, where... Plagues, famines, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions were taking place throughout the Roman Empire. Destruction was coming, well, it came to Jerusalem uh, at, at the hands of the Caesar that they said was their Caesar. Although they did not honor, they did not remain friends with the same Caesar. They said, we have no... We have no king but Caesar. And then they betrayed Caesar. Which brings up somebody wanted me to listen to a video uh, of a group that thinks there's some sort of ecclesiastical trust. And they're telling people to, you know, get certified copies of their birth certificate, etc. It's another guru theory. And I did listen to it, finally. I was up 4 o'clock this morning to listen to it. I had it sitting there to listen to and listen to, but I had so much to do. I didn't get time. So finally I listened to it, and I took notes on it. I may share that in the afternoon program. But I've seen time and time again the people that are offering you salvation by some sort of ideology or theory or whatever are actually delivering you even more so into bondage. You'll be shocked at, you know, what I put together just... And while I was listening to it, I just typed in the answers to what I was seeing they were doing. And I've seen it before with all sorts of guys. I've been at this for, you know, almost three quarters of a century. So I, I've seen a lot. And I'm sharing it with you so that you might be saved. But the answer is Christ. You don't want to be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he has another parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. It's out here in the field. The world is the field. But it seems to be hid. Sometimes it actually is hid. <laughs> Sometimes it's just hid from you because you can't see it. But you can see it if it's the real Holy Spirit and not an emotional creation of your own imagination. 
The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto the merchant man seeking a goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, the, both those two parables clearly have something to do with selling all you have to obtain this treasure that you found hidden in a field, these pearls. So, clearly, Christ is saying that there's going to be some sacrifice expected of you. And so, then he, then he immediately goes on to the parable of the net, at least according to what Matthew is telling us. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net. Now, we, we just talked about Paul and uh, David talking about what should have been for your welfare is a net and a snare. It actually says a snare and a trap. In some places it will say net. And Proverbs talks about, you know, if sinners entice ye consent not because it's a trap. You know, they entice you to let's all gather together and have one purse, you know, like socialism. And he says, consent not. Don't consent to that. Because it's a trap. It's a snare and a trap and a net. And he says, even the, the net is spread before the bird, but the bird still gets caught in the net because he can't quite see the net. Well, legal charity is a net. It's a trap. It will snare you. And of course, because it is covetous practices, it will do exactly what Peter says. Through covetous practices, you will be made merchandise. You you will be brought back into the bondage of Egypt. Of course, that's all taken place already. Which is why these people at C2K, whatever their name was, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, C2K. You know, that they, they, they realize that they're back in the bondage of Egypt and there's a loss of liberty and a loss of freedom and they want to get back to that. Genuinely good ideas and desire. But their method has to be according to the way of Christ. And they think they are following that way. I'm not saying that they're crooks or anything. I'm just saying they think they're following that way. But there's things they're missing. Just like we've shown all through this study. There's things that people miss. Because they don't know the fullness of history. They don't know the fullness of the law at that time. At our time. They don't know how the law, the natural law works. The kingdom of God law works. And it's it's there, but it's like it's hidden in a field. Because people have put other things on top. You know, it's like the magician. Don't look over here, look over here. <laughs> then you won't see me tucking this into my sleeve. I mean, some of them are just amazing. I watch them and I'm like, how did he do that? That was, you, know, you, you can put it on video and you play it again and again. And like, how is he doing <laughs> Amazing. Right before your eyes, sleight of hand. That is done every day and been done every day for a thousand years. And the whole world, it said the strong delusion would come and even the whole world would be deceived except for the very elect. And so the elect didn't, they didn't figure this out because they're smart. They figured it out because of revelation. Well, you could be the elect. Though Some of those guys there doing their thing, they could be the elect. But they don't see it yet. 
And so I'm willing to have the conversation. And that's what I, we talked about in the previous shows. It's very important to have that conversation. Yeah, you got an idea. I got an idea. Let's put them out together on the same table and see what works. See what floats. Because I, I've seen what doesn't. I have a whole... Oh, we have a whole page on guru theories that people think this works and this works and works. And we'll show you why it doesn't. But we'll, we'll also, while we'll tear down those theories, we will show you Christ's plan, which isn't a theory. It's a fact. So anyway, it goes on to the parable of the net. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessel, but the vast that but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the age world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from amongst the just. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, what is that? You, so we have a network. You can go at preparing you and click on the network links and you can join a network. It's an email network based on geography so that you, we're trying to bring you into contact with one another. Like all those people trying to touch the hem of Christ's garment. But we're going to bring you into contact with all kinds of people. There'll be some tares there. There'll be some barley. Might be some wheat. Might be some triticale. Might be some GMOs in the mix. Who knows? But you grow up together. And righteousness comes from God. It doesn't come from me. And hopefully if you follow the plan of Christ, who said to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network, and the early church was a network, the Holy Spirit is going to light the hearts of the individual, root in the hearts of the individual, and they will become the angels of God. They themselves, by the mere light that they produce, they will drive away those who do not love the light. And it will be the power of God that separates you out, not your ideology. Very important to understand that. So in verse 51, we see Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Now see, this is, he's counseling his apostles. He only talked to the other people with parables. Now he's explaining these parables to them. And Matthew is passing down an explanation to us. Most of everything that was in Mark, you'll find in Matthew. And we'll, we'll do this in the subsequent chapters because even though we see the same stories in Matthew, he uses different vocabulary sometimes. Different word order, different explanation. He's writing it differently than we saw in Mark. And there's some things in Mark that Matthew doesn't say. And of course, there's a lot of things in Matthew that Mark never says. It would seem to me that if you laid all the Gospels over top of each other... Everything that is repeated in one form or another in every gospel, that should be part of, especially in the red letters of Christ, that should be our doctrine. Because <laughs> that's the doctrine of Christ. 
And we should hold that up and compare with what we're doing to see if we're really following Christ. Because if he said, don't do this and you're doing that, that's that's a sign you're not following Christ. If he said, do do this and you're not doing that, that's a sign that you're not following Christ. So anyway, we see in 51, Jesus saith unto them, have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Do you understand all these things? Well, we'll see. Then said he unto them, because he continues, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Corbin is an old thing. But the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because they went back to the ways of Nimrod and Cain and Sumer. But the Corbin of Christ, it, it's, it's an old thing too. It's free will offerings through faith, hope, and charity. I always thought it was amazing. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you see the word charity anywhere in the King James. You see free will offering. You see the word love. And the same word that is translated charity is translated love. (laughs) And there's a Greek word charis, but that's not translated charity. (laughs) So, anyway, the ideas are there. The wisdom is there. But is it being written into your heart? Because that's the only place that's going to make a difference. Because we're not saved because we're eating of the tree of knowledge again. We're saved because we're eating of the tree of life. And there's ways to tell whether or not you're eating of the tree of life. So he goes on goes on in verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he, he departed thence. And when he was come to his own country, and that's the word uh, that has to do with... Uh, uh, it's, it comes from the word that means father. It's the word patris. Is pater father uh, is what it comes from, the word pater. And it means one's native country. But remember, Abraham had to leave the places of his nativity. He had to leave his father's house to become this prophet of God. And uh, he was heir to Haran. But he left it to Nahor. So, this is part of what they're trying to tell us here in in this verse. That when he comes into his own country, the place where his family was and all this kind of stuff. He taught them in the synagogues. But he taught them what he was teaching now. What we've just seen him saying. Insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom? And these mighty works, because he's also still healing. It is not, is it not this carpenter's son, this actually stonemason's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren, James, Hoses, Simon, Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Now, here's that word offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, 
save in his own country, his own homeland, and in his own house, he even says, Oiki. And he did many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because once people have accepted you a certain way or accepted an idea a certain way or accepted a particular ideology or theory about what is real around them, it is very hard to get them to change. And this is, you know, he's preaching to adults. It's it's easier if he preaches to little children and he'll talk about that. Because ultimately you have to receive the kingdom as a little child with this innocent faith and let go of all the ideologies and uh, theories that you have about religion. I mean, like, when I grew up, religion is, you know, you were a Catholic or you were Methodist or you were Lutheran or that was your religion. And you went to that church or that chapel and you... And that was your religion. And what they taught was your religion. You studied your catechism. You studied, you know, the words of the leaders of that church. But it wasn't his church. It wasn't Christ's church. And I tried to go get into it deeper and deeper. I went to the seminary and was raising my hand and asking questions. But the answers weren't coming from those men. It wasn't until I was out here on the desert with the sheep that a lot of the answers started coming together. Now, I learned a lot from those men and, and, and from men and women along my life. And I, it was, but they're all branches of the tree of knowledge. This information, you know, like when, when I was seven and my dad handed me a social security card and I looked at it. And I looked at the front of it, and I looked at the back of it, and he said, this is important, you'll need this someday. And I looked at it upside down and right side up. <laughs> I just kept looking at it, it was just a little tiny card, but I thought like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I knew it was important, but I wouldn't understand it for many, many years. And even even the card is insignificant. It's a symbol of something. It's It's not the meaning. It's it's just a symbol that represents an idea, a system. It has no power of itself. We give it power, we take it away. But all power is of God. And Christ gave us, you know, he said, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. And that's where we wake up today. We're all in the unrighteous mammon. And what makes it unrighteous? Well, we'll talk about that later in this afternoon. And we've talked about it before. But he's saying be friends with it. Uh, Moses said pay your tally of bricks. A glean in the field at night for your benefits, for your straw, for what you need to live and to survive. That's, that's what we should be doing. And Christ gave us a particular way in which to do that. Now, there's a lot of flexibility in that way. And it was basically a network because the kingdom of God is like a net. And anybody can join the network. Any any fish can swim into the net. (laughs) And eventually, somebody will pull that net up and go through it. Angels of God will go through it. And it's catch and release. The wicked, let them go, you know. And uh, maybe they're too wicked. Maybe they won't let them. 
<laughs> you know, maybe they're an invasive species. <laughs> we don't want to go. But uh, the only ones we're going to keep are the ones that have the Word of God written in their hearts and in their minds. But I can't make that judgment. God can make that judgment through those that he sends to make that judgment. You know, God's not going to be there going through the fish. He sends somebody else to do that. But the reality is, is what really filters out those who do not love the light is the light. When you turn on the light, the cockroaches leave. It's the system that Christ created to take care of the needy of society in the daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity, contrary to the system of the world that operates by force, fear, and fealty, subjecting the people, making them merchandise, cursing their children, making them a surety for debt. That's one system. Christ's system is the antithesis of that. So you're either seeking... And that system we call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And you're either seeking that kingdom in a process of sacrifice and love, because all love requires sacrifice, or you're not. And that you're being carried away by the cares of the world. Because you don't have any faith in faith, hope, and charity. You only have faith in force, fear, and fealty. You would rather take a bite out of one another than sacrifice yourself for your neighbor and for love of neighbor. Because those are the two commandments. You have to love God, which is a giver of life. So you have to be a lover of giving life as well. And God gave choice. You know, some choice. And so you have to give choice to your neighbor. So you have to be in a free assembly that gathers for the purposes that everybody might be saved because that's the purpose that Christ came is so that everybody might be saved. But you have to give in a way that strengthens the poor. But you have to network. Now there's a mechanics to that network. I mean, you know, I've, I've made nets. You know, learn how to net with, you know, made the twine, made the net. And you weave it in a pattern. If you don't follow a pattern, something's going to get through and it's going to be a poor net. So the better you stick to the pattern, the better the net. The better it can function as that net. But we're not judges of one another. We're seekers of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We cannot save ourselves with paperwork or magic chants or special songs or or special water or, or veneration of this and that and and ceaseless prayers, endless repetition of prayers, none of that's going to save us. I'm not condemning any of that. It is what it is. But the way of righteousness is the way of righteousness. The way of unrighteousness is the way of unrighteousness. And, and one is straight and narrow and the other one is wide and broad. Well, which one are you on? Well, We'll have to see. And so anyway, this afternoon show, we'll, we'll deal with uh, uh, a little bit more on, on this topic and, and go into Matthew 14, which I promised you <laughs> meant, meant for this afternoon. Until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you and see you on the net. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.